Not surprisingly, uh, the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee, almost to a person, spent the better part of four days trying to humiliate Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, trying to impeach her character. And in the process, of course, they only humiliated themselves and impeached themselves. We knew this would happen. We knew they would resort to racism. We knew they would attempt to misrepresent Jackson's record and cast doubts upon her character. But because... Jackson is unimpeachable. They had nothing else to work with. She's infinitely stronger, smarter, and more accomplished than any of the mediocre Republicans who alternately questioned, attacked, and maligned her. We need to remember the position Judge Jackson was in. Not an an impossible one, but an unconscionable one. Remember Brett Kavanaugh, the guy who was credibly accused of sexual assault by more than one woman, charges that have never even been investigated? He whined and snarled his way through his hearing. He didn't just push back against his interlocutors. He treated them with sneering contempt. Even if Judge Jackson had the luxury of behaving the same way, it's impossible to imagine any circumstances in which she would have. She's too fine a person. But the point is, that she does not have this luxury. Even though the attacks on her were completely specious and launched against her with breathtaking disrespect, as a black woman, she had to remain calm, measured, respectful. Finally, towards the end of last night's session, Democratic Senator Cory Booker gave Judge Jackson the props she deserved. While it's true that Booker is the only person on that committee who could genuinely empathize with what it must have taken for Judge Jackson to reach the pinnacle of her profession with what she had to withstand in that very room, his gestures shone a glaring light on something that had been bothering me almost since the hearings began. Where the hell were the other Democrats? Jackson didn't need their compliments. She needed them to throw their bodies on the line for her. Some did, but it wasn't enough. How is it possible that Dick Durbin stood on ceremony while his colleagues verbally abused the Democratic nominee? Because the Republicans would scream bloody murder that they weren't being treated fairly or that they were being cheated somehow? Who fucking cares? They do these things anyway, even when, especially when, Democrats make the weak choice to play by the rules that Republicans continually demonstrate they feel no need to follow. The Democrats needed to have Judge Jackson's back. Her attackers should have been stopped, silenced, sanctioned, and if need be, removed. Democrats cling to a sense of decorum and fairness and the Republican colleagues steamroll over them. Maybe they deserve it, but Judge Jackson did not. She deserved to have every single Democrat on that committee, every Democrat in the Senate fight for her and they failed. Republican senators interrupted her. They did their best to paint Judge Jackson as a pro-crime, pro-pedophile Black woman. They flew the flag of white nationalism openly, unabashedly, and they need to be punished for it. We're all trying to eat better. But sometimes healthy breakfast can be really boring. I mean, there are only so many days in a row you can eat oatmeal, Uh, which is why Magic Spoon is such an incredible innovation. Magic Spoon has flavors you love, flavors that are familiar, but without all of the stuff that would make you want to avoid sweet cereals in the first place. 
Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It only has 140 calories a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. Uh, their variety pack contains four flavors that, again, like will taste so much like the cereals you grew up with. They have cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. You can even combine them. So one of the best things you can do for your health is to replace carbs with proteins, and Magic Spoon makes that really easy. It's the perfect food anytime. It's great for the whole family. And if you just add your oat milk or your almond milk, it's an incredibly healthy breakfast. So just go to magicspoon.com slash Mary to grab the variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use the promo code Mary, that's M-A-R-Y, at checkout, and that way you're going to save $5 off of your first order. Magic Spoon is so confident in its product that this offer is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like the cereal for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Mary and use the code Mary to save $5. Thanks, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. We really appreciate it. Welcome to the very live Mary Trump show. <laughs> My guest, the phenomenal Allison Gill, host of the Daily Beans pod, um, originally host of Mueller, she wrote, um, co-host of Clean Up on All 45, somebody whose work I value enormously and somebody I am very proud to call my friend, Allison AG. Welcome. It's so good to have you here. Sorry about the little glitch. I'm happy to be here, uh, regardless. And, and trust me, I, I've been doing this for a while and those things, uh, those things happen. Uh, but, uh, amazing intro, uh, there. And I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. Yeah. Um, feeling, feeling a little hot under the collar actually. Uh, so I apologize to everybody if I was speaking too quickly, first of all, I'm from New York and that's what we do. But, um, you know, I, I have made it my policy uh, since last January not to attack Biden, his administration, or Democrats when it comes to policy. But when I feel that they are fucking up strategically, um, then we do need to call that stuff out because, you know, I'm, I'm sort of getting tired of saying it, but it needs to be repeated ad nauseum. We have everything at stake here. We have eight months uh, to go. So if they're behaving in a way that's risking our democracy, I think, I think they need to be taken to task, especially if, um, somebody as deserving, um, qualified, brilliant, et cetera, every adjective, you, positive adjective you could think of as uh, judge Jackson is essentially being left to fend for herself. Yeah. Yeah. We like to call it fuck tidri. Uh, over here uh, <laughs> yeah. is what's happening because I mean, I don't understand giving the fascist Republican party, the benefit of the doubt on anything. They, they did it during the, the, uh, the Brown hearings. They also did it. They, they are reticent. The one six committee is reticent to subpoena 
Republican members of Congress because they're afraid of, of retribution if they lose the House in, in the midterms instead of trying to act like they want to win the House uh, and hold the House. Um, because I hate to break it to them. And, and, and this is it's so frustrating that most of government is reactionary and not proactive. But the Republicans are going to do that regardless of whether you That's subpoena right. them and hold them That's accountable. Right. And so the same goes for when we see charades like Lindsey Graham saying, I don't want this these hearings to be a circus as he's lacing up his red clown shoes. <laughs> very, very small, but floppy. Yeah. <laughs> Good de- descriptor for most of the Republican Party. <laughs> um yeah, no, it's it's very it's extremely frustrating, and I'm you know I I I come into this show. I always try to maintain a positive attitude, like you said. You've been trying to say nothing negative about Biden policy, Democratic policy, right? Um, and I have been defending justice and the rule of law, and we get the slap in the face from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office yesterday. So yeah, yeah, uh, we're going to get to that. Um, actually, you know the the hearings is sort of the least of what we, we we're going to be speaking about. Um, because once again, it's been something of a week. <laughs> um, you know, anybody who thought things were going to slow down or get better <laughs> as of January 20th, 2021 was sadly mistaken. Um, but I, I do, uh, want to wrap up, um, talking about the hearings a, a little bit because, one of um one of the things that just seemed and I don't again I don't know if it's strategy or um the fact that Democrats seem to be stuck in a, a time warp and think they're actually dealing with a reasonable party. Thank you, by the way, for using the word fascist, because that's exactly what we're dealing with, although Democrats seem not to understand that. Um, somebody, I can't remember who, but a, an MSNBC commentator mentioned that um, Lindsey Graham's initial line of questioning about Judge Jackson's faith would have been shut down immediately uh, in, I guess, the not-too-distant past by the committee chair. One, because it's irrelevant, and two, it was really offensive. And then... Um, to make sense of it, it was posited that perhaps what the Democrats were doing was giving uh, the Republicans more rope to hang themselves with. In other words, let them keep talking um, and, you know, spinning their conspiracy theories and being obnoxious and rude and lie and whatever. And people will see them for who who they really are. What, what do you think of that? Well, no. And... Yeah. If the Democrats could effectively use that in messaging uh, leading up to the midterms, I'd say go for it. Right. Um, but I am also very concerned about uh, our messaging problem as well. We're the party that's not fascist. This is not a hard message to sell. No. Um, when you look at what's going on in Europe uh, it, with, with the brutal genocide and invasion of Ukraine shipping children out of Ukraine into Russia from Mariupol, like just horrendous war crimes. 
and not tying that to what Donald was trying to do. The, the reason Putin is doing this is because he successfully pulled off what Donald failed to do in 2021, but will do again. That's right. And so I'm not sure why, I mean, it's so blatantly obvious to me what the message should be. It should be reasonable people against fascism, not Democrat v. Republican. Um, and and there are some Republicans who who come over to that side, uh, but they're few and far between. And for me, the messaging is, is glaringly obvious. And, and I hope that we can use what happened in these hearings against Republicans in the midterms. I hope we can. I hope they do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but again, so many missed opportunities. Um, for example, yes. Okay. Uh, democracy versus fascism. Uh, this, these things sound simple, but if, if we're hung up um, on uniting people, right, uh, as seemed to be the goal, uh, the State of the Union, then that lets every single uh, elected Republican off the hook because then they get to pretend that they're all for unity too, even though they've actively they're actively trying to take this country down. Um, so it's, it is messaging, sure, but it's also um, a seeming lack of willingness to play hardball. Um, yeah, why not go out and get your own sound bites by taking down these Republicans for the way that they spoke in their misogynistic, racist, bigoted way uh, to, to Ketanji Brown Jackson, to Judge Jackson? I don't understand you know, oh, just let them make their own sound bites. Make your own. Make your own sound bites. Right. Exactly. And and uh, the argument is always, well, you know, nuance is complicated. Well, you know what? We don't need nuance right now. It's very, very simple. And what one of the things that was um, fascinating and heartbreaking and illustrative of, uh, in a way, how easy it is not to get hung up on complexity is that moment in the hearing when um, the execrable Ted Cruz, the embarrassingly infantile and pathetic Ted Cruz put up those <laughs> pictures of a children's book and asked judge Jackson if <laughs> she thought uh, babies were racist or something. I don't know. It was uh, um, obscenely rude and racist and um, objectionable on every level. And she said, Senator. And then she said nothing mm -hmm. for a significant period of time. And it was in that silence where I felt the struggle is, you know, um, and that silence was so incredibly eloquent. I think we could come up with something that's, you know, can fit on a bumper sticker too. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm angry. Really angry. Uh, yeah. Uh, me too. And, and, and like I said at the top, um, I, I'm normally very optimistic and very full of hope. Um, today is not that day. <laughs> you know, AG, it, I think part of the, the problem for those of us who really are optimistic human beings uh, is that we keep getting brought to the brink of uh, success or justice or 
I don't know, um, something good. <laughs> uh, and it's constantly snatched away from us. You mentioned earlier what's happening with the New York district attorney. And um, for those people who don't know, well, what, you know, you, 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 this is mu much more your beat than mine. So why don't you just summarize that for us and, and explain like what's been happening the last week? Yeah, sure. Well, for, for two years now, two very experienced former U.S. attorneys, Pomerantz and Dunn, were hired by Cy Vance at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office to investigate the, tr the Trump family and the Trump organization. They did manage to eke out a 15-count indictment against the org and Weisselberg. And they were going to set a new special grand jury. And as they ended that grand jury and had to seat another one, and Vance was about, you know, at the end of last year, Vance was on his way out of office. Vance is like, yeah, prosecute. You've got enough. Do it. You just bring in these last couple of key witnesses. And so, but then he had to leave. And then Bragg comes in and they can't get him to sit down and read memos about what they've been doing for the last two years. And, uh, and Bragg takes, you know, a little time to get read in on it and says, no, I don't think we're going to go. And he not, not only does he say, we're not going to, I don't want to, you know, go after uh, indictments, criminal indictments, but I don't even think you should bring your key witnesses into the grand jury. And so anyone who's been saying, including the spokesperson for the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, hey, we're continuing this investigation. We had a good faith dispute about whether we had enough evidence and we're waiting to see if we can get more evidence. And that's bullshit because if you're waiting to see if the, to get more evidence, you don't stop key witnesses from testifying in the, in front of the grand jury. So it's been very frustrating, but we, we basically got the release of Pomerantz's resignation letter, which says this is a gross miscarriage of justice. He committed crimes that are prosecutable, that would hold up on appeal, that would be proven beyond a reasonable doubt in front of an impartial jury. And so we all thought he should be uh, indicted because he committed crimes and you decided no. So I can no longer work for you because of that. Right. And and um, just to make it a little clearer, what Bragg was saying is that he didn't believe that um, they could get a conviction and that is a calculation that prosecutors make. But on the other hand, um, in this case, it seems a purely political calculation because his two lead prosecutors know a lot more about this stuff than he does. And if you're worried about whether or not you have a strong enough case, as you said, then maybe you should uh, let your witnesses testify in front of the grand jury instead of telling them not to bother. Um, so that's one instance of it. And as you said, there, so, people have been mentioning, well, this happens all the time. There's a good faith disagreement. And I think it was Eric Bollard who pointed out, well, if it's a good faith disagreement, people don't typically resign. No, no, <laughs> right? no. And that resignation letter is quite something. Ooh, yeah, and we haven't even seen Duns, right? Uh, and I'm I'm interested also to know who leaked it, uh, and and why, what purpose. Um, but although I will say, and because I have to put a silver lining on a silver silver lining on everything, do you? <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad. Do you not today? No, but I'm so glad that we haven't seen a resignation like this from the Department of Justice based on a declination to go after anybody. Yeah. So either it's just. So, and, you know, some could argue that it's not slow. I've argued that it's not slow. It's getting long in the tooth. Yep. 
Um, but, uh, you know, eight, six months ago, it wasn't slow. Um, right. <laughs> but I, I am a hundred percent sure that if, uh, if Graves or, you know, the, the, the DC U S attorney's office was like, we have enough to, to indict Sidney Powell and Garland was like, Nope, I don't see it. Then I think yeah. there'll be some resignations <laughs> happening. Yeah, yeah. I think so that's I think so. just a, a, maybe a matter of resources or, or whatever. But at least I think those those investigations are ongoing. But right. absolutely agree just what happened in Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And I I never ever have you ever heard me say we should investigate the investigators. I'm against investigating investigators, but I would like to know who donated to his campaign. Yeah, I think Bragg needs to be called onto the carpet. Um, and uh, either replaced or um, governor, I can never, I don't know how to pronounce her name. She's my governor, and oh. I still don't, Hochul, Hochul. Anyway, uh, Governor Hochul should uh, grant Letitia James powers to bring criminal charges or whatever the case may That's be. Something, powers. yeah, she can. Something has to happen. Or the because, Senate in New York can step in and, and prosecute right. federal tax crimes. Right, uh, because... As I believe Pomerantz said in his resignation letter, even if the case is lost, it deserves to be, people deserve this. People deserve to have Donald brought to account, even if it doesn't end up being a conviction. Um, and obviously, it's a case by case basis. It's not, you can't use other things he's gotten away with to go after him harder than he deserves to be for this particular thing. But they're not saying that they're saying it's here. It's all here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we might not win, but it not, is there ever a hundred percent certainty in anything? No. And he said, he, he actually, he's like, yeah, we'll win this. But even if we don't, um, you know, right. And, and I think there might be a little bit of this because people were like, well, if you're going to shoot the King, make sure to hit him. You know, um, you can't lose. That's not miss. Yes. But I don't, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think, I think in this particular state tax business charge is a little different than maybe a federal seditious conspiracy charge, uh, with, with regards to prosecutorial discretion. And I'm sorry, right. but you cannot have good faith prosecutorial discretion if you didn't allow key witnesses to testify. There's just no way. That's right. That's right. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting, um, which is just another way of saying very stressful <laughs> to see how this plays out. Uh, there's nothing we can do about it right now. Um, but I, like I don't that hunt like that. All right. That investigation's out. All right. What's Fonnie Willis doing in Fulton County, Georgia? Okay. Come on. Mama needs a new pair of shoes. I'm at but the crap table. We can keep knocking things off the list though, uh, as has been pointed out that a lot of the things DOJ could have been going after Donald for, including the, uh, counts of obstruction laid out by Mueller are, are, no longer viable because they've reached the statute of limitations. So the list is getting shorter and shorter. Yeah. Some of them have, but the ones, some of that, them, not all of them. Yeah. The ones, ones getting actually, the ones that actually meet all three criteria for criminal obstruction haven't yet expired, but they start in May. Right. Exactly. Maybe if you don't count the pardons, there could be other stuff, but there's also the, the whole prosecutorial discretion of where well, we're going after him for, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding on January 6th. We right. don't need to go after him for this, uh, which is what they did with yeah. Manafort. And now his passport has been revoked and he's been dragged off a plane <laughs> headed to Dubai. Oops. Oops. What I, I, uh, I haven't 
followed up on that is was it just he was dragged off the plane and allowed to go to home to his multi-trillion dollar mansion yeah we don't know uh, exactly why uh it, it, a lot of people were speculating that perhaps he's still under investigation for other things that he wasn't pardoned for uh and things that he wasn't charged for in the Mueller investigation mm -hmm. like giving stuff to the kremlin um through a, through a russian spy but um, I was like, hey, you know, I worked for the government for a long time. This could just be an admin error, you know, where they revoked his passport when he was convicted and then just no one turned it back on again after he was pardoned. That's a <laughs> possibility. And he might just need to reapply for a new passport and could travel. The bigger question is, why was he going to Dubai where all the Russian oligarchs are escaping to? That's my question. Uh, who can say? I mean... It's shocking that he would choose Dubai of all places. <laughs> How weird. No extradition yeah. treaty and a bunch of Russian oligarchs. Yeah. I mean, I, I have uh, my, my guess would be that he's, uh, he's looking to go over there and get paid to uh, troubleshoot or um, put out fires or whatever. Bring um, Yanukovych again for installation as the president. Those are, of those are his people mm -hmm. after all. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it does seem even even more this week, and by the way, the week isn't over yet. It seems this week more than and than recent weeks, we've swung from the sublime to the ridiculous to the ridiculous to the sublime and back to the ridiculous again, starting with the hearings uh, in which we saw the Republicans just embarrass themselves, um, but also the profundity of watching this brilliant woman who will be the very first black uh, woman justice on the Supreme court. Um, the, what we were just talking about with this, this potentially devastating development in New York. But then today we all got a little comic relief when, um, Donald decided to <laughs> everybody except you and me, apparently you weren't on that lawsuit. I felt left out. I feel so left out actually. Um, but you starting with Hillary on. Clinton, I'm sorry. You have your own lawsuit. That he's yeah, I'm, I'm good, <laughs> but it, I would have been in really good company. Mm. Hillary Clinton. Um, I, I mean, it was basically everybody who was a Democrat, <laughs> uh, in some position of any merit in 2016. Yeah, I, uh, I, got, I got a text from, from Pete, Pete struck. He's like, uh, Trump just sued me. <laughs> Then I saw Andy on there and I'm like, Hey, congrats on your new loss. Yeah. Was it, it for a, at least 24 million, you know, which also made me feel bad because I'm getting sued for a hundred million. What? And, and what, what, what Hillary and those guys were alleged to have done was much worse. <laughs> so, Oh my God. It just, it never ends. And it, it, this loss in particular seemed yet another um, piece of projection. Um, because essentially he's, he's suing them for having interfered with the 2016 election, which is exactly what he did. And Rico rocketeering, <laughs> which is exactly what yeah. he did. Uh, hey, well, I mean, that's exactly allegedly what he's been doing for, I don't know, four decades now. Fair. You know him better than I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, at least once in a while, Donald can provide us with comic relief, but it underneath all of that is, Things really are serious. Uh, you know, yes, the lawsuit's frivolous, but as I like to point out from time to time, the fact that he's in any position to bring a lawsuit against anybody is um, a very 
damning indictment of our system. Hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you know, I worked for when I worked for the government. There, there's a lot of protections for people uh, in the government for many different reasons, and there are people who exploit those protections, but they're there for very good reasons for when they're actually needed. And so shutting them off to certain people puts you down a, you know, a slippery slope where it's like, well, where do you draw the line? Uh, but yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and again, this is just one of a, a bunch of lawsuits that's there just to raise money. He'll, he'll, he doesn't, he'll, it'll be dismissed. And he knows that because he doesn't want to go to discovery on the 2016 election. Uh, and, and so that same with your lawsuit, it's just to, it's just to, to bilk that base for a couple more dollars. And um, that's, that's what it's, and that's, and he'll be successful at it. I mean, I don't disagree with you. Um, but on the other hand, it would make more sense if he were being sued and using that as a fundraiser. I mean, he's the one doing the suing. Like, so I guess his, his base really is just that stupid. Yeah. Well, he looks powerful and strong for going after the people who, who the, the fake New York times, yeah. how Maggie Haberman, uh, the, mm. uh, you know, whatever, um, his terrifying niece. Yes. yes. Oh, uh, you know, the, mm, anyone who's attacking me, I punch back, you know, and that's always been his defense when it's not obstruction of justice. I was just punching back, you know, <laughs> I didn't grab her pussy. I was just punching it back. I was punching back. No, he did. And he, he that he'll admit because <laughs> it's true. Cause they like he that. Thinks that makes him look strong too. Cause we live in very dangerous. <laughs> Times, you know. I always think of the story you told, and I think it was too much and never enough. But where his that first girl that who was like out washing her car, and she's like, hey, and that whole interaction is just like sort of paced the rest of his life with women. You know what I mean? It's just great. Yeah, yeah. Just so, for those who didn't read my book, <laughs> shame. That's okay. Um, yeah, that um, it was my dad's best friend's girlfriend. Anna Maria, and she had just moved into the neighborhood. She was a few years older than Donald, and he was just walking her. He didn't have any friends, and he just started <laughs> chatting her up while she was uh, in in the driveway. Super smooth chats, too. Super smooth, and it turns out that she had gone to a college near the military academy, and this his line, his pickup line to her was, "Oh, I'm I'm embarrassed for you that you went to that school." because apparently it wasn't impressive enough. So she basically told him to go take a hike. Um, but yeah, that's, that's not to a T. Um, even his insults are charming, apparently. But I think part of it, though, is that uh, he was feeling or worrying, perhaps, unconsciously, because I don't know that he would consciously recognize this, that he's, um, he's kind of out of the loop. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? I, I definitely feel like uh, he's, he is um, feeling the lack of spotlight, which, which potentially explains this lawsuit, potentially explains what's happening with Mo Brooks. I, what, what do you think of that? That is such a good point. You know, I'm thinking, you know, to raise dollars and fundraise, but yeah, attention, right? Um, I mean, he's out there every night at the omelet bar in Florida, shaking hands with a microphone, even though there's three people and they can just hear him 
but he's got that microphone to sound, you know, make it sound look like he's got some like it, and you know, shaking hands like, aren't you glad you're next to me? And just like he'll crash weddings and get up on stage and give a toast and doesn't even know who the people just to have an audience that'll listen to him and start complaining about the 2020 election that was stolen from him. Yeah. But honestly, if you choose to have your wedding at Mar-a-Lago, that's exactly what you deserve. Yeah. And in fact, like there's a part of me that wants to just like try to have an event there just to see if he tries (laughs) to talk, you know, like maybe I'll do a live broadcast of Mueller. She wrote and see what happens and be like, yeah, remember me. Yeah. Why wasn't I in your lawsuit? <laughs> also, okay, you know, you know what though? Now, now I want to make some, I want to make this happen. You should not have put it in my head. <laughs> Can we sue him for not suing us? <laughs> hey, I mean that has as much merit as his lawsuit against Hillary Clinton. So sure, but just and just add a bunch of randos. <laughs> yeah. Like a five page. Jason Miller. (laughs) Katrina Pearson. All the people who, to all the people who haven't sued me before and just like (laughs) sue them all. Yeah. I, okay. Um, And we should do that while we're having the event at Mar-a-Lago. We should serve them with the papers while we're at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Even if if it's just a front page of the lawsuit, I would just love to see it. Look, Mary (laughs) and I have filed suit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, just kidding I don't want my lawyers to have a heart attack <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, you mentioned earlier um, you know this very long list of cases that are still going on but it's getting shorter mm-hmm. um, but much more troublingly is that we're running out of time it feels like we're running out of time uh, so given the fact that, you know, we're not lawyers and although we do understand that, uh, justice grinds slow, but fine and all that other, it isn't bullshit. It's, it's not bullshit at all. Um, I mean, the reason it, it feels frustrating is because there are way too many ways to manipulate the system. And Donald is always doing that. And that, that doesn't seem fair. That has nothing to do with what's happening with the DOJ or what's happening with the New York district attorney. Um, These things do take time. Uh, Even though the January 6th committee is, is essentially a a fact finding um, body uh, that can make recommendations. You know, they can't, charge anybody with anything or get anybody arrested, mm-hmm. but that they still do need to dot their I's and cross their T's and, and move slowly. Um, but you and I are very concerned about political time, which moves much, much, much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, political time used to move slowly and right. it doesn't anymore because of the 24 hour news cycle. And um, the, the thing that I just try to keep in mind is that the only way we run out of time is if we don't show up and vote. Right. Because Merrick Garland, let's, I'm going to do everything I can to keep the House and the Senate in the midterms, and I hope that we do. If we do not for some reason, if we lose the House, and then the committee is going to be done by then anyway. They have to be because the Congress switches yeah. over whether we win or not. Right. Um, so 
and they know they're not they're not like thanks twitter for telling me that you know November's coming up. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Just as a quick uh, corrective to people out there who who uh, think that the January 6th committee doesn't know what the time uh, frame is and what's at stake. Trust me, they do. Mm, they do. Uh, right? And, and actually, I just want to ask you this quickly before you continue, because um, I see this attack a lot about how they're not you know they're not in uh, calling in this person. They're they're not charging this person. My default, because the people in that committee are exemplary, is that they know something I don't know. So I'm not going to criticize them unless I have all of the facts. Is that fair, or am I giving them too much credit? No, I think it's fair. I mean, there's, and it's not just the, the people that we see front facing on on the committee, but it's also the 40 people behind them. Uh, former best prosecutors in, in the business and right. former prosecutors and Doug Letter, uh, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and there, if everyone just remembers, their job is to just get the truth out of what happened that day. That's right. their job. And they don't have to subpoena so-and-so to get that. They can get the information from other people who know about it and, and piece everything together and give you the truth. Yeah. I know I get it that you want to see you know, uh, Bill Barr in a seat having to answer questions, but the, the committee can't force you to testify, even through contempt. They cannot right. make you testify. They can only throw you in jail for 30 days or up to a year. So, and let's face it, if Bill Barr did show up, what would he say? I'm pleading the fifth. Yeah. And, and they're not going to put him on a public facing thing unless he's got something important and credible to say toward their, toward their narrative, right. uh, which is the narrative. Right. Um, and, and as far as time constraints on Department of Justice, it, even if we lose in November, that does not impact the Department of Justice. I mean, it might a little bit like they could the Republicans that, who take over the committees could flood the Department of Justice with a bunch of requests. But the Department of Justice can ignore them. Right. Um, they can't replace the attorney general. They can't they can impeach Biden, but they can't remove him and put a Republican president in who could. Right. Now, I mean, outside of pure violence, I mean, we still it's still um, a, a Democratic uh, succession. Uh, yeah. so if the, the DOJ has until January, 2025, and if we don't vote, it's not, you you, I wouldn't look back and say, darn it, DOJ, you didn't do it fast enough. I would, I would look at the 130 million people who didn't vote and say WTF. Right. Um, and, and by the way, if we lose the white house in 2025, whoever gets in is just going to pardon everybody anyway. And so it doesn't matter if we indict them today mm-hmm. or in 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to vote in 2025 to maintain those convictions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess the reason it's frustrating is, is well, there are many, but um, the most obvious one is that if the DOJ did um, come out with very credible indictments that could persuade some people in the election. Right. Who maybe right now we're feeling like, what's the point? Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have contempt for those people. Uh, If you're giving up now, then you're responsible for what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, a lot of people don't have the luxury of paying as much attention 
is it a luxury that we get to pay as much attention to this stuff? I don't think so. I think we should be getting hazard pay. Yeah. But uh, at least we don't know. It could also enrage right. the base that that was going to vote for Trump but didn't turn out or whatever. You know, it's 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 impossible to to game yeah. that out. Yeah. So. Um, but I, I, it's clearly nothing we can count on. And um, I, part of it, part of what confuses me is like, why do you need anything else to convince you that this is important? Yeah, and and people who are like, well, you know, if they don't, then I'm not voting. Right. I. Which is fascinating because yes, in 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 the most um, technical sense. Merrick Garland is Joe Biden's attorney general in the sense that he was appointed by Joe Biden. And however, uh, may, maybe people are confused because Bill Barr did act as Donald's personal attorney, but that's not what's supposed to happen. So in that regard, like I don't, as far as I'm concerned, Merrick Garland is not part of the Biden administration because Biden has no control over what Merrick Garland does or does not do. So it would seem incredibly short-sighted and wrong to punish Joe Biden for Merrick Garland's failures. Well, that, and it would be like, you know, you're a foster kid and you're 10 years old, you finally get adopted by a great couple of people and then they won't give you a cookie on a Tuesday and you say, send me back to the foster (laughs) Yeah, orphanage is much better. Okay. Um, so uh, sometimes I feel like I'm just like whistling past the graveyard. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, if I can't have this, and uh, give me the fascist, I'll take the fascist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's also exhausting. Fascism would be easy. We wouldn't have to think about anything anymore. Um, except, well, we would probably have to think about where we're going to live outside of the country. But uh, that's a different issue for another time. Yeah. Um, but cases aside, um, and as you said, there are many, and maybe we will touch base uh, on some of them in a couple of minutes. But I, I, I want to focus on what we can be doing because we don't have control over what uh, happens with Tish James's cases. We don't have any control of what happens in Fulton County, Georgia, or um, – how oh God, uh, how much more destruction the Supreme Court commits uh, on our constitution and our voting rights and our rights as human beings if we're women or LGBTQ, et cetera. But we do have some say, at least, or input into how to talk to people about what matters or um, change people's minds or help people understand what's the most important thing to focus on. Um, And I'm actually even thinking of this in terms of uh, the latest revelations about Jenny Thomas. Now that may seem off, totally off topic, but I don't think it is. Um, What do you think of that? in terms of Ginny Thomas, her Supreme Court justice husband, Clarence Thomas, her involvement, which seems to be pretty serious, in January 6th, and um, Clarence Thomas's mysterious illness. 
Yeah, well, first of all, the fact that he was the sole dissenting voice on a case to hand over documents to the January 6th committee, of which we just learned include text messages from his mm -hmm. wife to the former chief of staff, who is under investigation for voter fraud and criminal contempt of Congress. That sentence right there, if you just pick that up and drop that into 2012, you would explode people's heads. Um, but... Yeah, where <laughs> I read on a, I read on a like a basketball, like I was reading a basketball uh, message board about about sports, and somebody just was bringing up the Ginny Thomas text and Clarence Thomas, and they're like, does anybody else care that maybe Clarence Thomas is dead and Ginny Thomas is doing a weekend at Clarence's signing, signing <laughs> his name to all the opinions, and just like we have an insurrectionist on the Supreme Court now. Like, is anyone concerned about that? Why didn't anybody do that for Ruth Bader Ginsburg? That's my question. I know, right? Weekend at Ruthie's. But yeah. I I am, first of all, the fact that we can't know as America what's going on with the health of a Supreme Court, sitting Supreme Court justice, who is making decisions like, I'm not allowed to have an abortion anymore, and affirmative action is going to go in the tank, and mm -hmm. voting rights uh, maps in Wisconsin, nope, you know. Uh, the kinds of things that ruin a democracy. Um, that's mind boggling. And then you throw on top that his wife was at the, at the ellipse on January 6th, texting about getting armies ready to back him up on, on that day. Uh, right. Former chief of staff who was in, took part in a campaign to pressure the, the vice president to break the, the law. Um, For months. Yeah. 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 And it's, um, it's the, and, and talking about the slow pace of justice, it's especially in times like these when everything is so urgent because, and it's not, you know, like I said, we talked about the time clock and the department of justice in 2025 and this Christmas and whatever, but the damage that's being done to democracy and our institutions in the meantime, the fact that women are, are have had their rights stripped from them in Texas that now, of course, that is all a result of 2016, which shows you the lag time of, of apathetic voters. Exactly. But um, these are so, so some people, I think, are applying the urgency now of stuff that happened five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and, they're, you know, they're like, hey, we need a conviction. It's like, well, did you vote in 2016? Um, <laughs> so um, it's, it's just very frustrating. It's again, getting, it's getting harder and harder to be resilient uh, as people who have experienced a giant social trauma, uh, after giant, the multiple giant social traumas. And for those of us who already had our own little individual traumas going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, True. who, and I, I've always pri like prided myself on somebody be, who's, who's very skilled at being resilient because of all that mm -hmm. it's getting, very tough. Uh, and so I, and, and that's what I think we sh maybe should focus on is, 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 is ho holding each other up and helping each other through that. Yeah. Um, because you're not going to talk a Trump supporter into coming over on the other side. No, you're not. And, and one of the reasons I brought up the issue with Clarence Thomas and Ginny Thomas, besides the fact that it is fascinating and mind blowing and reminds us that there is no uh, body, uh, no, no, um, committee or anything that is in charge of 
policing Supreme Court justices in terms of potential ethics violations. There's nothing. It's up to them. You know, in any sane world, Clarence Thomas would have been forced to recuse himself if he hadn't chosen to himself in a case that clearly had something to do with his wife. Uh, Just as Amy Coney Barrett should have been forced to recuse herself in a case that involved an organization that donated heavily (laughs) to her campaign to become a Supreme Court justice. Uh, so, So that's part of it. But I was also thinking about it in terms of one, educating people, especially people on the left, about why the Supreme Court is so important, because apparently that's not a lesson enough of us have learned, although the Republicans uh, understand it and have for a very long time. Um, But also, uh, you you and I have talked about this a lot. In 2022... And in 2024, we need to be one-issue voters. We need to be voting for democracy, period, end of story. Um, But at the same time, uh, I think you're right. If we focus on Donald, if we we are only counting on the cases that will indict him or uh, prove uh, his criminality, even if he can't be indicted— a lot of people aren't going to care because they they have been co-opted or they've been or or you know they're they're here for the fascism. They don't care if the guy did something or not. It makes them admire him more. But there, if we if we start to focus on things like what's happening with the Supreme Court, then maybe that will give people pause. Like people who. Um, Vote for vote for Republicans because that's just what they do. Mm-hmm. They've always been Republicans. Uh, you know, they don't have the luxury of paying enough attention, so they really do think that Republicans are better on taxes and with jobs and with foreign policy and all other stuff. Um, but you know, Clarence Thomas has nothing to do with Donald. Mm-hmm. And if we can reveal the rot uh, at the core of the Republican party in a, in a way that, that totally elides Donald's role, because again, you and I agree on this. Donald's a symptom. He's not the cause of anything. Well, he's not the originating cause of anything to put that way. Um, so do, do you think Democrats can, can do that effectively? Cause we have so much ammunition, man. We do. And it's, and it's hard because I, I, I know people, uh, like you said, are kind of focused on getting a, getting an indictment or, you know, um, and, and, and we have some recent history we can learn from. I get all the time because my name on, on Twitter is Mueller. She wrote, right. I get all the time. Oh, well, you thought Mueller was going to save us. You thought Mueller was going to save us to which I reply with about a hundred text messages of me before, before the report came out saying Mueller will not save us. We can save us. Saying one man can save us is what Donald says. That's right. And by the way, I, I know this is true because even though you and I didn't know each other at the time, I listened to every episode of that podcast. I'm like, be careful. So, Don't put yeah. your whole eggs in the Mueller basket. You know, this right. is, he's a prosecutor. He's not Superman. Right. Uh, and that's why when he testified, everyone's like, oh, he's low energy, no pizzazz, no zazzle. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's not like he ever had it, first of all. And secondly, you know, he's an Republican. He's an institutionalist. He's a party guy. I mean, he's just not, he's 
Zazzle. So anyone who's jazz hands, come on. Anybody who's thinking that that our democracy lives and dies on whether or not Merrick Garland does what they want him to do, and not just Merrick Garland, but then the judges do what they want him to do, and the line prosecutors do what they want him to do, and the sentencing is how long they want the sentencing to be. That is uh, a, a, a mistake that will leave you sad. Don't it, do yes. that. <laughs> it is a mistake, but what I will say that if if Merrick Garland does nothing, oh no, it has. Then to he's be making done. a conscious choice not to defend democracy. So yeah, it has to be done. Accountability yeah. has to happen. Yes. I'm saying it's just a very small part. And if he doesn't sure. hold accountable or or at least look into it, which I think he is, and we can talk about that another time, uh, right. that is a massive dereliction of duty, and he would be the right. worst attorney general in the history of the United States. And I'll which is saying him. something. Yes, because we just had... We hey, just huh. had two of them. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about the racist possum. Mm-hmm. Um, no offense to possums. Yeah, sorry, possums. They're, I love possums. Me too. Uh, but I do play dead when I'm around Jeffrey <laughs> Um, it's very wise. <laughs> um, just don't don't rely on that. We have to vote because, like I said, if we don't vote in 2024, Trump gets back into the White House. God forbid, he'll just pardon everything that that Garland did or didn't do anyway. Yeah, doesn't that won't matter? Yes, accountability has to happen, but it is not what this democracy hinges upon. It's not the only right. thing I should say. There's like right. ten things. Probably more than that. Um, But we do need to, uh, I don't know, keep our powder dry, um, make sure that we don't run out of resources. Like we don't, we don't want to squander people's attention to the extent that we can get it. Right. Uh, So having said that, what do you. Help us run on like an anti-corruption uh, message, you know. right? But so, what do you think between now and November would be the best things for for people who have a platform, for people who have, have networks, um, or you know, it, work with voter outreach, voter registration, and stuff like that? What do you think would be some of the best, most effective things to focus on. And I don't just mean in terms of telling people things, but in terms of um, things that are ongoing right now, whether it's the stuff with the Supreme Court, whether it's uh, the January 6 hearings um, and how that can be done, et cetera. What, what do you think are the best, most compelling ways to get people's attention and help them understand what needs to happen in November? Uh, I, my number one thing, and, and this sort of is what I've, um, I, I think Obama has some pretty good ideas. And, and when he um, was out of office 2016 after Donald won, won um, Thank you. he sat down with uh, Pod Save America and he's like, well, how are you feeling today? And he's like, you know what? I have hope. I have hope. And, and Padre was like, what are you talking about, bro? And he's like, think about all of the kids who are 10, 11, 12 right now, 13, 14 years old, who in four years are going to be coming of, of voting age. And I think the youth vote is going to be where we need to, in my opinion, is where we need to focus. There's, there's a ton of, a ton of youth out, youths, two youths. <laughs> um, and 
when you talk about the, the issues that are facing us this, with Supreme Court affirmative action, Roe v. Wade, when you talk about the climate crisis, when you talk about don't say gay uh, and anti-trans bills and voter suppression bills, the, the people that that impacts the most are the are the youth voters and, and the disenfranchised voters, right? And because I, I don't think I'm going to need an abortion again, uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, but when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, that right was extremely important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, climate, I'm out of here in 25 years. Uh, mm-hmm. But but these these young people are not, and they know it. And when I was watching, wait, was- how many years? Come on, <laughs> what are you? 70? <laughs> I don't know how long. <laughs> I'm just going by my ancient art, my my uh, my retirement fund. Um, 50 years. You'll be out of here in 50 years. Okay. <laughs> a shorter period of time than the youth, uh, than the two youths. Yes. Um, but when I was watching those walkouts um, in Florida mm-hmm. for, the, for the Don't Say Gay, I, I was just, I was in tears. Um, these kids are, they're hungry and they're angry and they're, they want to be active. Not like when Gen X, not like when I was, in high school, I was very active in politics, but you walk up to somebody and be like, Hey, politics. And they're like, sorry, I'm going to the nine inch nail show. You know, um, <laughs> it was very difficult. It was very, it was much harder to get, um, a Gen Z millennials were better, but I, or, uh, excuse me, Gen X millennials were better, but Gen Z mm, I'm super into it. And I think that these issues that we're going to be facing this year, particularly Roe are, are they're going to be impacted by it the most. And I think if we can instill the importance of the Supreme court into any group, that's them. Yeah. And, and I think that that actually is an important uh, corollary to being a one issue voter for democracy that sort of um, implied there, and maybe it needs to be explicit. That means you're voting for the Supreme court because everything you mentioned is dependent upon having a Supreme court that represents the values and the beliefs of the majority of the American people, which this court absolutely does not. This court probably represents about 25 to 30% of the American people. Yeah. If that, Uh, if that, if that, Um, and yeah, in fact, in some of their more extreme um, rulings, it's, it is less than that. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, I think that is something that absolutely needs to be focused on. I also, um, you know, one, this is this is something that that has mystified me for a long time, but it became it it came up again in watching the hearings with uh, Judge Ron Jackson. Uh, you know, you look at uh, obviously we're all looking at through through a partisan lens, but you look at the hearings and you look at uh, the demeanor of the the Democrats versus the Republicans, you look at the tenor of the questions of the Democrats versus the Republicans. And don't get me wrong, I understand it's the Democratic nominee. But, you know, we also saw how the Democrats behaved during Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. And, and you yeah, know... Yeah, like, how did shit become objectively bad? That's the question. Like, how, like, it's, I feel like it's an experiment where you watch a comedian, like, Greg Giraldo or George Carlin, and then they get worse and worse comedians little by little incrementally until you're watching the shittiest comedian on the planet and you're dying laughing because you don't, you haven't noticed the change. That's what we were watching. 
in this Senate hearing and, and for people to have the inability to pull back and look at the Senate as a body as compared to this, you know, how the Senate's been over time, which hasn't been that great, but comparatively to not be able to say objectively, this is trash. Right. Exactly. Like how do you look at Cruz, Hawley, Cotton, Blackburn and White House, um, Booker, Booker, yeah. uh, Hirono, et cetera, and uh, think, oh, yeah, you know, they're either equally bad or equally good, or I like the Cruises, Hollies, and what, why? Well, because they're hateful. You know, so obviously I think that is, that is why, why they're attractive to people on the right. But it can't be enough, right? There has to be something of substance that can be said or done um, to help people understand that, Empty, hateful rhetoric is not worth, it's, you know, it's not worth voting for. A party that's free of policy, a party that is, uh, you know, harboring seditionists and fascists, or party that is fascist, uh, is not something that is, um, that is worth supporting, uh, a party so, that wants to overthrow the government of which it is part. Exactly. So how, what do you think needs to happen with the January 6th? Like, what is the January 6th committee? To, because I personally think that that is, that is the most powerful weapon we have. And again, you and I don't have any say in, in how they do things. But if, if we did, what do you think the January 6th committee needs to do in order to get people on the side of voting for democracy. Uh, add a soundtrack to your video presentations. Uh, no, I mean, you know, make these Hollywood um, consult with some people who know how to put together a video. Uh, you know, talk to the Midas touch guys or the 11 films guys or whatever, the Lincoln project uh, video makers. Um, not an endorsement of Lincoln Project. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they do make good videos. They do. Uh, talk to script writers and screenwriters, not to embellish anything, hmm. but to present it in a way that gets grips people's attention. I, and I hate to, to try to make entertainment out of government, but in order to reach the people that need to be reached, not the wonks like us who sit there through the through the Mueller testimony and I'm doing jazz hands because I'm always <laughs> not, not wonks like that. That's not who you need. To, that's not who you need to reach. You need to reach young people. You need to reach apathetic voters. You need to, you need to, ugh. and I think that, I think I've read that they're doing that. They're hiring writers, outside writers to help them with this presentation, to put it in, in such a way that it fortunately like, you know, all my balls for mediocrity. It's got a, it's got a pack a punch, and uh, it's got to appeal to that, that you know, mm -hmm. regular Americans, and that's what appeals to Americans in general is is entertainment stuff. Yeah, but I have to say, um, they did that very compellingly uh, during the second impeachment trial, mm -hmm. or wait, sorry, when the the when the after the impeachment and the trial was had started in the Senate and Jamie Raskin was the lead impeachment manager manager. They did do that very effectively. And that was very early days. And I believe since then, and quite recently, uh, he, uh, the, the extraordinary 
representative from Maryland, Jamie Ruskin, actually said that their what their goal is to craft a narrative. Um, and if they can do that and make sure that it is on television on every fucking channel mm-hmm. every night for months, then I think that might be the best weapon we yeah. have. Yeah. Like I want to see people watching these hearings, like people watch the Truman show. Yeah. I want, I want people. Well, hopefully, hopefully the hearings are better and more entertaining. I want to have people that have pillows with Raskin's face on it. And they're like, <laughs> um, maybe we can kick Republicans off the Island. Maybe we can have some sort of a, no, I'm kidding. I don't want to, get... but um, <laughs> that'd be, that'd be fun if we could just turn Senate, just turn the Senate into a, into a reality show. Hey, it uh, already is for God's sakes. Come on. Circus, circus, soon to be reality show. But yeah. And, and that's what I'm looking forward to. And, and if, and if they do what they did in the second impeachment trial, I think that, that, you know, they have a lot, this is a much bigger story. Now they only had the tip of the iceberg back then. Cause some people wanted to save the shit for a book they were trying to sell this year. Hmm. Really? Tell me more. Hmm. Unbelievable. There should be a law against that. You know how there's the son of Sam law that criminals, indicted criminals can't make money if they write books about their crime. I should (laughs) the same thing apply. I mean, I know there's probably a first amendment attorney listening to this. who wants to kill me right now, but it's just unbelievable. And also shockingly, every single person who does that was at one point or another, a Donald sycophant. Well, I, yeah. And I think that the, um, publishers and book agents should also be mandatory reporters. <laughs> mm. Oh my God. I love that idea. I love that. It, good luck. Uh, well, I, I was going to say something I shouldn't have said, but good luck with that. <laughs> I don't think that's happening anytime soon, but it's a nice thought. Um, listen, AG, we're going really long. I, I so appreciate your time. I, we, we literally could talk on, till the election in November. And we probably will, but you know, not live on YouTube all of the time. Um, <laughs> but you'll definitely be coming back for sure. Um, but I always like to ask people two questions uh, to wrap up because, you know, we're always talking <laughs> about things that are quite difficult and sometimes heartbreaking. Um, and, you know, um, it, it is, as you said, getting harder, uh, to be resilient, you know, um, I think you, you and I both have PTSD and a weird thing about that is that I think sort of at the beginning of COVID or it's sort of through COVID that was actually an advantage because we knew what to expect. We knew what was going, we knew how ident- to identify what was going on with us. But it's not, it doesn't really feel like much of an advantage anymore um, because it is. It's there, there's this constant onslaught. It's work. Um, it's work. It's it's work on top of all of the other work. Um, well, I'm here so, for you, and I know you're here for me. So. Absolutely. And yeah, we all have to be here for each other. And one one thing that I think is really important to focus on, and these are the questions: one, what gives you hope, and two, how do you hang on to that hope? And it could be something really personal. It could be something very general. Hmm. Just please don't say nothing. 
I, I won't. I got. I, got, I know you wouldn't. You know I'm full of hope. I'm. I'm I know a, you are. I know. Porn flying monkey wrangler, according to people on Twitter. Oh, wow. I sell opium on the street corners next to the pocket. Opium. Uh, gotta get some of that. It's really nice. Um, <laughs> I think what gives me hope is the community that unintentionally grew up around us as we started speaking out. Yep. Um, that network of people, I mean, talk about support. I am never afraid of any, you know, of what's going to happen to me because there are just thousands upon thousands of people in this community that care about each other and are there for each other and can provide things for each other, even if it's just a day off or, or some time. And we talk about it a lot on the show. Like, Hey, if you need to take a break, I'll write the postcards today. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do the phone banking today. I'll take the baton, whatever the baton right. is today. You get some rest. I got you. And to have that big of a group of people that got you and you're yeah. in that group. And, and so are the people who watch and love your show and read your books. We're all in this group. It's just tremendous. Yeah. And no matter what happens, that group will still be there. Right. Right. Even if we have to call in from Europe or the Caribbean. <laughs> if we all got to go get our own island. Um, yeah, I, I, that is an, that is an excellent point. And, um, for those of you who aren't already listening to the daily beans, it, it really is required listening in this day and age. It, you know, it helps me stay up to date, um, on things and more than anything as, as AG just said, it provides a community, which, you know, even now, like I, I think we're all still feeling pretty isolated um, or still emerging or whatever. Uh, it's an extraordinary community of people. Um, it's uh, something that will give you sustenance and knowledge um, to fight the fights ahead. And the fact that, that you created that is a huge testament to you. Um, and I, I'm very grateful for your podcast, for your community, for your um, inexhaustible work um, from which I've benefited enormously. Uh, so uh, tell people how they can <laughs> Very red. make you blush. That was my goal. No, seriously. <laughs> tell people how uh, they can follow you uh, on Twitter or any other social media. And obviously you have other things other than the uh, daily beans. Uh, so let people know how to follow you and also what else they can listen to. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I mainly tweet myself personally out of at Muller, she wrote, but I'm also at Allison Gill and um, we have at daily beans pod, which is another podcast. And then of course we have the cleanup on aisle 45 podcast with myself and Andrew Torres. And then I have a whole network of, of incredible independent podcasters at MSW media 
com and uh, I just want to again thank you for for having me on here and for le- like letting me participate in your weird world because it, <laughs> it's weird it's amazing it's just so amazing um, to you know to get to to go through your books with you and 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 to talk to to your listeners and and to to be able to uh, just know you and cons- and call you a friend. Um, and I can't, I need to still meet cap, uh, because I haven't Definitely. met cap yet. Uh, you but, you will. but I have met the others and, and, um, uh, it's, I'm, I am so honored, um, to, to be part of, uh, of what you do as well, because it's completely and tr- totally inspirational. Um, so thank you for that as well. Well, right back at you and Allison Gill, thank you for being here. Thank you for what you do. And uh, stay safe, and we'll talk soon. Yes, we will. I want you on the bean soon. You got it. Great. Okay, um, now comes the time of the show when I get to answer some of your questions. Uh, But before I do that, I just also want to... uh, We didn't mention it, but uh, there is also a Muller She Wrote book club, uh, which is definitely worth checking out as well. Um, Okay. So from Judy in Illinois, what do you think about Bragg's decision to drop the case against Donald after he and his prosecutors have worked so hard for two years or more on the case? AG and I covered a lot of that. um, But I just, I, the reason I, I, I wanted to respond to this question is just to reiterate Um that this is something that really, really, really needs to be looked into. We need to get to the bottom of this decision. Uh, He needs to come clean and provide very compelling reasons for that decision. So, um, you know, I don't have anything else to add, but um, I seriously hope that um, people who have the authority to do so are looking into what, to what happened because it, it's, it's stunning. And the last thing we need right now <laughs> is to be more demoralized than we already are. Um, okay. From Jason in San Francisco, California, Ukrainians have united in a way even better than we did after September 11th and kept the focus on their freedom. How can we ever pull that same United front to safeguard our democracy? <laughs> uh, well, actually, I think right now we can't. Uh, And I don't mean that to sound as negative as it probably comes across. What I mean is we can't do that if we keep making concessions to the side that has no interest in democracy. So we need to ignore them, right? The worst thing we can do is to give even more ground to uh, the party and uh, the supporters of the party who want America to become an uh, autocracy or a theocratic apartheid state or what have you. Uh, They do not want to unite with us. We should not want to unite with them. What we need to do is focus on the people who do want American democracy to to succeed, and then we'll figure the rest out later. But, uh, you know, we can't do it if, uh, if we're trying to make common calls with fascists. Um, 
Okay, from Kathy, Merrick Garland is very conservative. It seems Obama, and I assume you mean conservative in his approach? I'm not sure. Uh, it seems Obama chose him as his nominee for Supreme Court because he thought he might get some Republican votes because he's not progressive. Should we ever compromise again? No, we never, ever, 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 ever should compromise again. It's absurd. Uh, Merrick Garland was a terrible pick uh, for a Supreme Court justice. And quite honestly, I believe that the only reason he was nominated to be the attorney general, it was as a consolation prize because of how poorly he was treated. Don't get me wrong. He would have been a better justice than Gorsuch or Kavanaugh or Barrett. However, uh, as a Democratic nominee, it was a terrible miscalculation on Obama's part. He should have nominated somebody like Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Honestly, Merrick Garland was a very moderate, um, older, I, I, I think he was in his 60s, maybe, you know, a uh, man who was not going to inspire anybody to fight for him, really. And we're seeing the fallout of that miscalculation. And the other thing that's true is that we shouldn't care anymore about getting Republican votes. I, I mean, we'll get them or or we won't. We put it the best possible candidate we can who will be the best possible justice. And we're seeing that with Judge Jackson. She's the best possible candidate. I can't even imagine. I can't think of anybody else who could hold a candle to her. If Republicans don't vote for her, don't vote to confirm her, her then that speaks volumes about who they are, not about who she is. Um, let's see. One more from uh, Lisa in Albuquerque, New Mexico. What's going on with the January 6th committee? Do you think we'll see anything big as AG and I was just speaking about? And again, I want to reiterate this because I think the work product that comes out of the January 6th committee is going to make or break what happens in November. So I don't precisely know because I don't I don't have any insider knowledge into um, what they're doing, uh, but I do believe that that it is their intention to go big or go home, and we are going to see some incredibly compelling um, narratives coming out of that committee starting in May, or at least that's my hope. So that's it for tonight. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the mary trump show i want to thank allison gill for being such an incredible and generous guest and you know don't forget every night every sorry every thursday night at seven o'clock eastern four o'clock pacific we are going to be live on the politicon channel uh on youtube so just search for it um Go to YouTube and then search for Politicon. Follow us, like the episodes, and don't forget to click on the bell because that way you will be alerted every time a new episode drops, okay? If you have any questions for me, you can email me at mary at politicon.com. You can look for the address in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. Also, please don't forget to support this week's sponsor, Magic Spoon. Um, And you can follow The Mary Trump Show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen uh, to your podcast, except, of course, Spotify. And please give us a five-star review because it really does help other people find the show. 
thank you again to the incredible Allison Gill. Thank you all for being here tonight. I will see you next week. Stay safe.